Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is uh, Samuel Patterson, co-founder of OB1. Website is ob1.io. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. So uh, can you tell people what uh, OB1 and Open Bazaar is, and then we'll you know we'll go from there? So the company, OB1, is a company that we founded a couple years ago in order to more properly develop our software product, which is Open Bazaar. <clears throat> and Open Bazaar is a decentralized marketplace. So so what that means is um, e-commerce is, is done differently on Open Bazaar than it is on most platforms. So most people are used to shopping online via Amazon or Etsy or eBay. Um, these are marketplaces that are controlled by uh, companies who run the infrastructure themselves, the servers and whatnot themselves. And then buyers and sellers will connect on those platforms and um, they will pay a cut of each transaction in order to use the platform. So on Amazon, I think the average is about 15% fee to sell eBay, something like 10. Uh, it varies across different platforms. Both buyers and sellers will also have their data platforms and the platforms are, are censored on behalf of our um, the companies will, will censor the trade on the platforms. So what we're doing is a totally different take on e-commerce, which is taking the middleman out entirely. So OpenBazaar is a open source, free-to-use piece of software that you download onto your computer. And then when you run it, it connects you directly to other people running the same program. It's peer-to-peer. So you're not going through any middleman or any server or any company to trade without having to pay a fee. There's no transaction costs. It allows you to trade without having your, your data monitored by any central organization or government. And it allows you to trade without censorship. So the trade itself, there's no one in the middle to stop that trade from occurring. So we think is... What kind yeah, of uh, censorship occurs on trades? Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Just, no, you're fine. What kind, of, uh, what kind of stuff have you seen happen that... Uh... So there's two primary ways that censorship occurs on other platforms. One is censorship on behalf of the company's best interest. So an example of that would be Amazon, who has a product called the um, Amazon Fire Stick, the media streaming device. And competitor, uh, Google, that sells a the Chromecast, which is a another media, the Chromecast to be sold on their platform. They just they straight up mm, censor right. that entire transaction type because, and actually Amazon has kind of a history now because they have this new Amazon Basics line of product where it may not be direct censorship, 
they may not directly say you can't sell anything that competes with our Amazon Basics line, but they will basically give the search engine preference to their own products. So um, you're basically competing against Amazon at this point if you're selling something that you know goes up against their own their own products. So it's either direct or maybe indirect censorship on their platforms for their own personal, you know, for their own um, corporate gain. Now, the other type of censorship is the more obvious one, which is if on behalf of um, governments and the laws in their jurisdictions. So there are obviously entire categories of goods that are restricted, not legal to be sold, and those companies will enforce those laws. Now, a lot of those laws you and I would absolutely agree with. So in some ways, that could be maybe, a good Maybe thing. guns, weapons, that kind of stuff. Exactly. Drugs. Um, but some things we would probably not agree with. Um, maybe in the United States, that censorship isn't too you know, onerous. But in other countries that have you know, more restrictive laws, um, that type of censorship can even restrict the free flow of you know, information or um, <clears throat> can enable the governments to you know, crack down on dissent. So basically having a, a completely free and open platform allows people to, you know, just live more freely than, than they can right now with these these um, tightly controlled e-commerce platforms. Um, how would, uh, you know, it cost money to set up a platform like this and to allow people to trade or exchange peer-to-peer, how, how would you monetize it but keep it decentralized and, and peer-to-peer? Like, how was Open Bazaar going to work? What are some of the mechanics of it? Right, so <clears throat> that's a great question. And often we get that question on the OB1 side, which is to say, how are you guys doing a company if you're giving away open source software and that there are no fees? And the answer on the OB1 side is that we don't take fees from the transactions on the network themselves, but we offer services to users voluntarily. So if they want extra services such as search or hosting their stores, um, you know, there, there's all kinds of different services we can offer to people, then we offer those services to them. But the, the broader question of how is this sort of sustainable without any centralized infrastructure is just that's just the way that the product infrastructure is designed. That's the way it's built. It's, it's completely peer-to-peer. So there's really no infrastructure that has a cost to be run other than what people individually run on their own computers themselves. So think of it kind of like okay. Okay. Bitcoin or BitTorrent, right? Like the, the load of the, the work is being done on each individual person's computer connecting to. Right, so you don't need massive servers that you got to maintain and buy and Mm-mm. pool and all that stuff. And I see what you mean. There's still the programming side of it, though, and everything. But um, so, all right, take me through... What, what will I experience when I use uh, Open Bazaar LB1? Open Bazaar uh, has gone through two, I suppose, uh, three iterations. Uh, when we when this first started in the middle of April of 2014, um, it was a very very simple proof of concept that we worked on for about a year, and we got enough interest from the community, especially the Bitcoin community, because this uses Bitcoin for payments, that we decided to, as I said, form the company OB1 and get funding and, and proper developers to go from that point. So we released the first major version of the software in April 16, and what you expect from current version of the software that was released last year is basically you, you go to our website to get the installer. You download the installer, run it, it a computer. Then when you start it up, it basically displays all of the stores and listings that you are connected to on this peer-to-peer network, initially, randomly. That has been one issue with doing uh, decentralized network, which is product discovery is difficult to do in a fully decentralized way. And so what we saw uh, was a few search engines pop up 
that will basically search and, and crawl and categorize the OpenBazaar network. But in the first version, you had to uh, you had to access them outside of the app itself. So you go to a different website to use OpenBazaar search engine. So you'd find what you wanted that way. You would then find the you know input the address into the OpenBazaar client. It would bring you to that listing, which basically what it's doing behind the scenes is it is reaching out to that person's computer. Uh, across the OpenBazaar network and pulling down uh, the files needed to look at their listing. And then you would, if you wanted to, you would purchase it, which basically meant that you would sign with the, the keys that you had on your OpenBazaar uh, node yourself. You would sign their listing and say, yes, I'm going to buy this. And then you would send Bitcoin along to an address that was, and then that meant the transaction was complete. And then it gets uh, settled just like any other e-commerce platform, the vendor will ship it, they'll give you the tracking number. Um, if it's a physical good, you can also sell digital goods, um, you can leave them a review, etc. Um, there's also an escrow system which uses Bitcoin multisig, which basically means you have joint ownership of Bitcoin and two out of three people must agree before those Bitcoin can leave that joint account. And Normally, that would be the buyer and the seller. They would agree if everything goes well and it's released. But you also can add a third party, which we call a moderator, that can join with either the buyer or the seller in case a dispute arises. So that's a way to have an escrow system that's not centrally controlled because buyer and seller can choose anyone they want on the network. It's an open dispute resolution network. It's not run just by us or any particular organization. That is how the we are now in the beta of the 2.0, which was actually just released a few days ago um, over the weekend. And the 2.0 has some significant major improvements over the existing version. One is that we use a new technology called IPFS, which stands for the Interplanetary mm -hmm. File System. That is a distributed file system, which basically means you can have other people's content seeded throughout a peer-to-peer -peer network. So one of the problems with the first version of OpenBazaar is that because it's completely peer-to-peer, -peer, if your computer goes down or you shut your computer down or your internet connection is lost, your store is not accessible to anyone else, right? Because right. you're literally pulling those files from their computer. That's not a very good experience. People are not used to that, right? Normally, if you're using Amazon or eBay, that your store is always going to be accessible and online. Well, with the 2.0, since we use this IPFS framework, now people's stores and listings can be accessible even though their store is offline because that information is being reseeded by others on this network. Um, the 2.0 also has a built-in people to more easily use Bitcoin and more easily do complex Bitcoin transactions that weren't possible with an external wallet. Um, and it integrates Tor, uh, which allows people to be much more private in their trade than they were able to do uh, previously. So, Are there stores uh, like Onion stores, or, or are they visible to the regular web? Or is it um, if I want to go buy something from someone that you know I, I can mask where my transaction is coming from? So the way it works in the 2.0 is that if you want to run your store on Tor, um, the OpenBazaar server will create an Onion uh, hidden service, and then it, your store will only be accessible for, from people who are on Tor, who can visit an Onion. Now, they don't actually visit an Onion in the Tor browser, like you don't have the Tor browser and put in an address and visit it in the Tor browser. It's done in the OpenBazaar client itself. So you, you, it wouldn't look any different to someone using it. Um, the only difference is that you can't access a Tor store on the network unless you're using Tor yourself, at least um, 
At least that's what, it, that's what would be true if not for the receding that I mentioned earlier on IPFS. So interestingly, if I, I believe, and we're very early in the testing of this since this is beta, but what should happen is people can actually reseed a Tor store, and then if they're running what's called dual stack, which means they're running on Tor and they're running on the clearnet, that node can basically bridge between those networks and reseed content from the Tor network onto the clearnet network as well. So actually, you would be able to visit Tor just by running on the clearnet. Uh, it just wouldn't be direct. It would be through sort of this third-party gateway service. But the, the reason that Tor integration is you know, something we wanted to do is that in the first version, if you if you run it on your local, it's exposing your IP address to the world, um, which you know some people may not be concerned about, but people who care about privacy mm -hmm. and even potentially you know denial of service attacks, uh, if a competitor sees your IP address or something, it's not ideal. So um, you can always use VPN, even in the current version, you can do that. But with the 2.0, you can also add Tor. And I think these bridges between the network will actually make that experience pretty smooth. Although, as you as you know, if you use Tor, it, it can be, you know. What's going to be your policy on um, items that may be considered uh, illegal by various countries, drugs, guns, malware, that kind of stuff? Right. How do you stop this from turning into uh, the Silk Road or Hansa or any of that stuff? Right. So it's an interesting question because you, you ask what the policy is and, you know, what the policy is versus what can be done on, on the technical level are, are maybe different things. I mean, when we when you run the software, it gives you um, basically a, a sort of a disclaimer that you have to agree to, which says, I'm not going to use this in my jurisdiction to do anything illegal. And clearly, you know, we, we didn't build the software for that. However, because it is fully decentralized, a fully distributed network, and no one organization controls what can be posted or listed, there's really not a lot that we can do. There's really not a lot we can do to actually go and take someone's content down directly, right? Because that would require access to their, their computer, uh, really pull down listings. So what we have to do is basically put tools in place to prevent that content from being easily reached by people who don't want to see it. And the way we do that primarily is through the search engines. So in 2.0, um, the main way that you do product discovery is via search engines, who in the, the first version of the software, you'd have to go outside of the app to use. But in the second version of the software, you actually have API calls that will pull in the search engine results directly into the client, so you don't have to leave the app at all. Most of these search engines thus far, there are only a handful, but there are more trying to come online, are run by companies providing this as a service, and they are going to effectively be filtering the network themselves. So it's really reliant on, on search engines to you know filter out this type of content, which is how most people are going to access the network. Now, if you were looking for that kind of stuff specifically, maybe there's going to be a search provider who will cater to that crowd, um, or Maybe there's going to be, you know, on forums where people put their stuff in and then they just take that address and navigate directly without using a search engine at all. I mean, you mentioned, you know, using IPFS and allowing essentially stores even that are, but you know, that are using the Tor network that are hidden uh, to be allowed to be discoverable by the regular web. You know, what if you periodically review the sites on your network and you see that one is selling, you know, horrible stuff? Could you disable certain features? in addition to blocking it from your search engine? You know, the feature you talked about where a, a, a Tor node is discoverable even by the regular web, would that be one way to, to weed out bad actors? Um, I have to think about 
that more. So there, there is going to be a report button on search results, which will send a message back to the search engine saying, hey, this content's not acceptable. So that helps them with the censorship of, of any particular listing or, or node. I think one solution that gets closer to what you're talking about is potentially the introduction of either white or black lists based on IPFS nodes. Of course, when people hear that, that always makes them you know, worry a little bit who's maintaining the whitelist or the blacklist. But in this case, it would, be, it would be voluntary. So just like you get to select your search provider that you want the results from, you will be able to select your white or blacklist who you trust to craft that list. And then they would say, okay, that node gets added to the blacklist. No one's going to see it if they subscribe to our blacklist. But if you, if you don't trust that user, you can just choose another blacklist or choose not to use them at all. But again, it's all sort of about voluntarily opting into different aspects of curating the network. There's really not a way, based on the way the protocol is built, to enforce it universally across the whole network from the top down. Yeah, because you have this, this trade-off. You want to let people be as free as possible and not censor them and not control them, but you don't want you know the government coming in and saying, hey, you enabled these bad things to be sold and this and that to happen somehow and thereby punish you. You're caught between these two, as it seems like to me. I just don't know how you'd navigate that, but I guess... Yeah, I think initially the tools that we give to individual users to you know, craft their own experience, primary method. One is that report feature, which it, only, it doesn't only just report the, the listing or the node to a search engine. Uh, it also blocks it locally for you. So you won't see anything from that node um, in the future. And then opting into these sort of lists of who you do or do not want to see, you know, is what each individual will be able to do as well. And there are all kinds of ideas we have moving forward about, you know, some sort of maybe a community voting system or something like that. Um, those are really difficult to get right and not be gameable. And so, you know, for now, it's not in the 2.0, but it may be something that we're looking at uh, for, for down the road. All right. So um, last couple of questions. So what, what's on your roadmap for the next six months or a year? What kind of interesting stuff is going to be coming out? So the, the 2.0 itself uh, is now in beta and will be fully released uh, probably about the end of this month. So the next six months is, is probably going to be, you know, pushing adoption of the 2.0, making sure that it really users need to basically be like a, a decentralized um eBay online using crypto. After that, we have all kinds of ideas on how we want to add new new functionality uh, and whatnot. And there, there's no one idea that sort of has floated to the top at this point. Certainly, OB1 is going to be focused making the OpenBazaar experience as good as it possibly can be. One of those things will be a mobile app. There will be an OpenBazaar mobile application coming out at some point over the next few months. Um, and then a, a, web, a web interface as well. So right now, the requirement that people download an application onto their desktop. I mean, that's how pretty much all peer-to-peer -peer applications work for technical reasons, but we think it's possible to build this such that people will be able to run it entirely in a browser. And so that obviously makes the barrier to entry extremely low for users, one of the next big goals we have. Well, very good. I appreciate coming on the podcast. Any last things that uh, you want to mention or let's Let's tell people how to get the Obi one uh, app and how to find out more about OpenBazaar. Yeah, the best way to find out about OpenBazaar right now is to go to openbazaar.org. And if you specifically want to try out the 2.0 beta, it's openbazaar.org slash beta. Thanks, Sam, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, 
to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. 